Thank you, Stephen. All right. We have been doing a series that I've titled uh, Radical Love, Radical Results. Uh, today I want to uh, look at uh, moving from crisis faith to responsive faith. Uh, and I, I have a question to ask you as we get going, and that is how do you respond in a crisis? Uh, I'm not asking a general question, I'm asking a personal question, so you need to kind of think back in your own life or maybe in a crisis at the moment. And my question is how do you respond when you have a crisis? I mean, what is your method or what, where do you go to or how do you deal with uh, a crisis? Uh, it's not a question of if we're going to have crises in our lives, we, we will. And so how do we respond? Uh, I, I don't necessarily have a formula, but uh, let me give away the big secret. Uh, I think that it's a good idea to respond by turning to God. Uh, I just think this is like the way the Lord would have us respond in, in a crisis. But let me also just say that it's actually not the thing that most of us do first. Most of us try and solve the problem on our own. And uh, when we run out of our ability to solve the problem, then we come up with a great idea of turning to God. Uh, and this is like not the best way to handle it. But we've just been facing a whole bunch of crises or disasters in our, uh, in our country recently. I mean, we've had the hurricane go through, uh, you know, Texas, and then it was Florida, and then Puerto Rico, and it just, it's devastating. And, uh, you know, how do, we, how do we respond to that? Well, you know, I don't know, sometimes they, they can just be disasters, uh, but they become a crisis when it's personal. You know, it's a disaster when it, doesn't, when it affects everybody else. And we sit in New England, it's like summertime here, and the weather's been great, and everything's been calm. And it's like, oh, it's in Texas, it's Florida. Unless you know somebody down there, then it becomes personal. And, uh, or you've got family. And, of course, the other huge disaster that we just had recently was the shooting in Las Vegas. And, again, you know, it's Las Vegas, okay. Unless you've got family... Uh, and it's personal. So I just want to ask Brian Graves to come and share. Unfortunately, he had family uh, involved in this crisis, and um, Brian has been uh, brave enough to just share. So Brian, just tell us briefly who was, what was the connection, and um, maybe you want to just share that story of how you felt prompted in the middle of the night to just, you know, phone yeah. your sister. Yeah. So, so I got a Monday morning and. Um, and Lisa, Lisa leaves earlier, so she goes, hey, check out. It was pretty early in the morning. She said, hey, check out the news. Something happened in Las Vegas. And so I'm sitting there. I read it. It's like 20 dead. It's like, oh, sounds like another bad, a bad, bad situation. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh. My sister's been living there for 20 years with four of her kids. And so I just had a hunch. Just, I, should, I should really text her, just find out what's going on. And, um, and then I put it off. You know, you typically you put it off, and then another 10 minutes go by. I'm like, no, no. So I texted her. I said, hey, Jen, I just want to in the middle in. of the night, so I mean, for, you were for going... For them, yeah, the yeah. time changes. It's like 4 in the morning there. So I'm just, hey, and I, I put everybody in the chain just to make sure everybody knew what the response was. Hey, nobody was there, right? Nobody was there, right? She gets back immediately. I just got back from the hospital. I got Allie, which is her daughter, my niece, and she was, she was at the concert, front row. Her boyfriend got shot. She dragged him off, and he, he was dead. It's like, um, she, you know, she goes... 
Quentin's dead. Please pray. There's like pray, 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 pray explanation. So I'm just like, oh my, I think I got the wrong number. This isn't right, you know. Uh, so I just got, I got really emotional. It's never hit home like this, um, so so tragically. So so I'm just I start texting everybody. I'm like, you know, I text Lisa and I actually called Lisa and I couldn't even speak. I was like, you know, you know, our family's been affected. So. Anyway, like, I don't want to go on and on and on, but just I want to thank you guys because I immediately, you know, shot a text to Rod and a few other people and, and Sue. And I said, can you guys just get this on the prayer chain and start praying for Allie in particular? My family's pretty vulnerable as, as it is, you know, rough upbringing. And I thought this is, this is going to be really tough for her to get through. So you guys have been praying like crazy. So I get this opportunity to say thank you. The prayers have been felt. Um, for us and, you know, specifically for Allie and my sister Jennifer, who's upside down as well. So anyway, so yeah, it, it, Thanks, it hit home, yeah, really hard this time. So, You know, and again, I think just as Brian is saying, what do we do? But we pray. And actually prayer makes a big difference. We're praying for a lot of things. We're praying for comfort for Brian. Uh, we're praying for his, his niece. Their family's in turmoil. Uh, when we go through crisis, you know, we want, we need support. We need support from those that can help us with specific skills, if it's medical or psychological or whatever. We need, we need all the support we can get, but we need the Lord to sort of orchestrate it for us. Uh, it's one thing if we try and in our own smarts figure this all out or make it right. It's far better if our initial response is like Brian's was, hey, we need prayer. Uh, we can't figure this out. We need help. We, we, this is, you know, our family is in crisis. And we've seen this in our own families again and again. Uh, so, yeah, how do we respond? Uh, I think we respond in, in prayer. Uh, you know, after events, the church typically does a fairly decent job of uh, responding to some of these hurricane disasters. Last week, I had a wonderful visit with an old uh, member of our church, Roy Hartstein. Uh, some of you remember Dana. Dana used to be a bookkeeper. Uh, they moved back to Texas. And uh, so I asked Roy, I said, Roy, give me a, a first-hand uh, account. How's Texas doing? They live in Houston. And uh, how's Houston doing? And uh, he said to me, he said, Rob, you know, Houston's going to be, it's going to be all right. He said, the Christian community outpouring has been phenomenal. Now, as I predicted, which is no great prediction, you know, you don't get a lot of news coverage, you know, a few weeks after these disasters. It's almost like, okay, there's something else to focus on. Texas, like, what happened down there? You know, we've had all these other tragedies and disasters since then. But uh, Roy gave me one very encouraging practical story. He said, he said, what I participated in two weeks ago is happening all across the city. He said, churches are getting together. And he said, so his church teamed up. He said, in his particular group, 37 people showed up at one person's home. They were an elderly couple to sort the house out. So can you imagine 37 people volunteering for the whole morning? That's a lot of hours. So they stripped the whole basement. They got all the sheetrock off. They got all the, the, the anything that was wet was removed, put in a dumpster and taken away. And the, the people living there said, look, some of the stuff we just need to dump. Some of the stuff, can you just lay it out all over our deck? Because we want it to dry out. And we really want this stuff. So they laid out all this stuff. And, you know, Roy was saying this is happening all over Houston. So, you know, so, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's really encouraging. And you don't hear that on the news. You don't see where people are saying, hey, we can help. We can make a difference. We can pull together as a community. Uh, likewise, down in the Florida Keys, uh, the Florida Keys are pretty devastated. I mean, obviously, they're vulnerable. The vineyard church down there is, uh, is wiped out. But what they've done is they said, look, we've got enough of a uh, basic structure. We can't do church, but we can be a staging station. And they're inviting all churches to come down there. So if you want to go down and volunteer for a week, um, they'll put you up and uh, they'll feed you and you can deploy uh, and go and remove rubble and do whatever they're going to be doing, shift food around and whatever they're doing on the keys. So, you know, practical ways of, of making a difference in a crisis. So I think when we do respond, we are doing what the Lord is asking us to do, is to respond. But I want to just go back a, sec a, a second here and look at both the physical and the natural response. Because, you know, Jesus was fully human, but also fully God. And the wonderful thing about this is when we're in crisis, we can appeal to Jesus in his humanity, as in he knows what it's like to suffer, and he, we, he can relate to us in our crisis. And so we can say, God, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm upside down, I'm distraught, I'm emotionally, whatever. Jesus can relate to that. But on the other hand, Jesus isn't just a human. It's not like he can just relate to us. He's God. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's an unbelievable uh, a benefit that Jesus can relate to us on our human needs, but also on a spiritual need. However, I think the spiritual need comes first. And uh, we'll dig into that a, a little bit. Uh, in, in a little moment. But let me just uh, say that I think the spiritual need uh, does come first. Let me just uh, read Psalm uh, 77 to you because I think this is a helpful psalm where, you know, the psalmist is in crisis and he's like upside down and he doesn't know what to do about it. And he's very real. He says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. And the Lord heard my prayer and everything was totally awesome thereafter. No, that's not what the psalm says. The psalm goes on and it's like you start feeling the guy's pain. All night long I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with his longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed to even pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended. You know, and he's just lamenting. He's just getting it out. He's expressing the way he feels. But the good thing is, he's expressing it to God. And the turning point in the psalm comes in verse 11. I mean, he's just battling with the way he feels and the way that God just seems so distant and God doesn't seem to be involved in his life. But in verse 11, it turns. But then I recall... All you have done, O Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are, they are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. You see, there's, a, there's an emotional and a spiritual shift that goes on here. He's going from, I'm in despair, I'm in, dis, you know, I'm in pain, and he's saying, I'm shifting from dealing with my pain to 
focusing on God. I'm no longer focusing on my discomfort. I'm focusing on God, and I'm, I'm recalling the goodness of God. Even though I'm not experiencing it, I'm not feeling it. I'm recalling the goodness of God and the dependability of God, and that's what gets him through. But it's the spiritual part. It's, it's taking the spiritual component seriously, which deals with the physical problem that he's suffering with. So I think it is helpful to focus on, on, on Jesus and uh, let the troubles and the cares take care of themselves as we put our trust and our faith in God that he will take care of our troubles and our problems. Jesus is basically saying, look, trust in me. This is a faith walk. It, it doesn't necessarily make logical sense. It makes spiritual sense. It says, trust in me, believe in me, I'm dependable. Look back of how I have been dependable in the past. You can trust in me for your current crisis. I'm going to get you through going forward in the future. Trust in me. Psalm 37, verse 39, the Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. You don't have to be your own fortress. Let God be your fortress. And sometimes it takes a crisis before we will give up control in our lives. Uh, it's a crisis which, whether we like it or not, we just give up. We just like come to the end of our own smarts, our own ability, and we say, God, I, I give it to you. And that's the good side of a crisis. If we will turn to God, and of course we can minimize our pain if we turn to God soon and early, and give it up to the Lord and say, Lord, you carry it. I'm battling, I'm suffering, I'm in pain. You know, go before me, be my fortress. Lift me up, help me out. And that's where when we pray for Brian, when we pray for other members in our church who are struggling and, and battling, we basically asking the Lord to be their fortress. We don't have to come up with, you know, counseling as in, you know, in fact, often it's very difficult for us when someone's in a crisis not to try and give what we think is good advice. Our best advice is that I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will meet your needs. Because when we start giving people, you know, do this, do that. Have you done this? Have you seen the doctor, psychiatrist? Have you gone for counseling? Have you, the person like, just give me a break. I, I, I'm battling. There might be good advice, but can we just pray for them that God will lift them up? God will sort them out. God will guide them with the right physicians, with the right care. With Yeah, it's, it's God-dependent. So what I want you to get out of this sermon today is just this idea that when we go through difficult times, can we instinctively do the unnatural thing for many and to turn to God and say, God, right away, I, I, I'm desperate for you. I'm asking for your involvement. And yes, I'm going to do everything practical that I know how to do. But God, guide me. Be with me. Give me wisdom. And if you can, uh, have people that you know uh, that's why small groups, life groups are so helpful because you can gather that small group together and have them pray for you. It's, it's, they know you. They, it's personal. It's personal care. And I'm just going to uh, ask the Spirit of God to be with us and uh, hear. Jesus, we just delight when we experience your closeness, your love for us, where we can see how you are working in our lives. And so, Lord, I, I just invite uh, your Holy Spirit to move as I'm preaching today, that you'd put you know, life onto your words, that you'd allow it to penetrate our heart, that uh, we can be connected to you, and Lord, that you'd increase our faith, our dependence on you, 
And Lord, I just read Psalm 62, 8 back to you, where you say, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Lord, I just thank you that we can, you desire us to pour out our troubles to you, and you are our refuge. So, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to guide us uh, now. In your name, Jesus. I'm working through uh, the Gospel of John primarily, and today I want to uh, talk about the story uh, of Jesus as he heals the official son in uh, John chapter 4. Uh, if you want to make your way to your Bible in John chapter 4, if, or if you want to pull out your bulletin insert, um, you can follow along with me there. But uh, let me just tell you the story before I read it. So somehow or other, there's a, a government official who may or may not be Jewish. He may be a Roman. He may be Jewish. He's in another town, Capernaum. And somehow or other, he's heard about Jesus. Uh, we don't know from the story how he's heard about him. But this government uh, official has a major crisis. His son is about to die. His son is dying, and he's got a crisis on his hands, and he's probably done everything that he knows how, you know, spoken to the doctors, done everything. It's not happening. His son is dying. And uh, he is pretty desperate. He makes a journey 20 miles away uh, to Cana from Capernaum. Now, there's a map up here. You know, some of you like maps. I like maps. Uh, I'm not necessarily the best at maps, but if you can maybe see this thing, uh, you know, Jerusalem down here on the bottom in Judea, and then you've got Samaria, where Jesus has uh, been walking up through Samaria, and he's coming back into uh, Galilee at the top there, Cana. Now, this guy in Capernaum is at the top of the, the Sea of Galilee, right in the, the northern part of that, and he's making this 20-mile walk. I don't know if he's walking or he's coming on his donkey, but he's making a big effort to find Jesus. Uh, and he's just at his, at his wit's end. I've got to find Jesus. Maybe if I can just connect with Jesus, maybe Jesus will heal my son. Or saying it differently, he's hoping that he can bring Jesus to Capernaum so that Jesus can heal his son uh, because he knows he can't bring his son to Jesus because he won't make the journey. So he's kind of desperate. And uh, he gets down there to Jesus and uh, he finds him, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and then when he finds Jesus, he, he basically tells Jesus, listen, you know, come on down to uh, Capernaum. My son is dying. Uh, you need to heal him. And uh, Jesus, instead of answering, uh, gives him a spiritual answer. He doesn't tell him like, yeah, sure, I'll come uh, uh, heal your son. He doesn't say, well, what's wrong with your son? He said, what have you done to get healing for your son? Uh, he doesn't give him anything like that. He gives him a spiritual answer. He gives him a spiritual answer. He says to the, to the guy, where's your faith? Do, 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 do you believe in me? And the guy's like, he doesn't even listen to what Jesus answered. He said, Jesus, listen, I'm desperate. My son is dying. Please, can you come over and heal him? And Jesus like, says to him, okay, look, your son's healed. Uh, just go back. And now this guy's in a, got his own faith crisis because this is not the way he pictured this going. He pictured Jesus coming along with him. So now he's got to respond to this. And so what does he do? Well, he does the faith thing. He immediately leaves Jesus and goes back to Capernaum to see if his son is healed. Well, the other interesting thing about this story is often faith comes first. And when we act in faith, it's often that we can then look back at the facts and see how the facts line up. And this guy is obviously new to faith or 
curious about the things of faith. And he does what many of us uh, might do. He gets back, or he's on his way back, and his servant meets him and he says, hey, your son's healed. And he's like, wow, that's incredibly great, unbelievable, awesome news. Only God could have done that. And then he does the fact check. He said, like, when did my son get healed? And did he get healed, like, gradually? Did the fever gradually kind of leave him? And you gave him some more water and you, you know, pampered him? And the servant says, oh, no, 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 no. He was immediately healed, and he was immediately healed. It was exactly 1 o'clock when that happened. And the guy's like, that's exactly when I was with Jesus. That's exactly when Jesus said he'd be healed. And now the, the facts bolster the person's faith, which happens in our situation too. Often when we look back, we see the hand of God. We see how all these things match up. We see like how perfect God's timing happens to be. And when we look back, it bolsters our faith. Uh, but if we approach faith from the way the world wants us to approach faith, it'll be like, okay, gather all the facts, and it's like a scientific experiment. We'll do this, we'll do that, and then the conclusion's got to be, you know, this, because you do A, B, C, D, and then that's the conclusion. Whereas God is saying, no, 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 faith is a whole different thing. You trust in me. There's a belief in me. And then when you look back, you see, oh, yeah, that's how all the facts lined up. There is a factual uh, case that can be made to that. Anyway, enough of that. Let me uh, read John chapter 4. Make sure that I didn't tell you a lie. Keep the story the way it is. At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. So clearly Jesus was doing uh, signs and wonders in Jerusalem. The word is spreading, and somehow or other this official kind of knew, knew that. Then verse 46, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum, whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, uh, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Okay, now here's the disconnect. Here's Jesus' answer. He says in verse 48, Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Okay, now you feel the pain here, right? Here's the guy. His son is dying. He's begging, Jesus, please, will you come down? And Jesus gives him the sort of sideways answer. Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And of course, we don't know the tone. We, we, you know, we don't exactly if Jesus is acting in compassion or is he uh, reeling the guy out or, you know, or what. But he's not getting the answer he wants. The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. I mean, all the official can see is the crisis. Naturally. I mean, obviously, his son is about to die. Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. Now, here's where this whole story turns. Here's where this man responds in incredible faith. The man believed what Jesus said and started home. Now, this is really remarkable because up until now, what we would expect the man to do is say, oh, Jesus, oh, come on, please. Don't just tell me that. You Come with me. I desperately need you to heal my son. Don't just turn me away and send me home and tell me my son's healed. Don't ignore me, you know, or at least explain to me, what do you mean my son will be okay? How did you, you know, I mean, You'd expect more answers, more explanation. But no, this man in faith 
responds to what Jesus is asking him to do without getting a whole like download of what's going on. And he responds in faith. And then while the man was on his way home, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son, will be, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. Uh, you know, that is a, a really good response when the community has been involved in your crisis and the community or this household sees how Jesus has like done the impossible, the miraculous. The whole uh, household is impacted and ends up having a faith in the Lord. But let's just back up here a little bit. If you've got a bulletin insert, uh, look at this first part here, uh, this crisis faith and how we often only have faith when we're in a crisis. You know, for many, for many, they don't see the, uh, don't come to church or they don't ask for prayer or they're not responding unless there's a problem. And when there's a problem, that's the first time you hear of them, which is okay. That's what, that's what church is all about in one sense. I mean, a hospital wouldn't say, look, the only time you come to a hospital is when you're sick. It's like, okay, we well, yeah, have for sick people, you know. So a church, well, welcome to church. You guys, you know, many of you are sick and, you know, I'm sick. And we basically need Jesus in every aspect, whether it's because we're in crisis or because our lives are going awesome. But, you know, church is the place for those that are hurting as well as those that are flourishing. I mean, church is multifaceted. But one aspect of church is a place for people that are like, I'm in crisis. I need help and I, I need Jesus. So crisis faith uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. God can use our crises uh, to turn us towards him. But what had, what had the official heard and what did he know about Jesus? How is it that this official decided that Jesus would be a solution? Uh, let me just read verse 47 again. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked... <clears throat> And you can underline this in your insert if you like. Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? You see, Jesus knows each person's heart. He knew this official's heart when he came to him. He knew that this official's heart was somewhat operating on a lower level. In other words, the official wanted the miracle. He wanted his son to be healed. Totally natural, totally normal. But Jesus is saying... That's a reasonably good request, but it's not the best request. It's like Jesus is saying, don't just seek the miracle, seek me. And Jesus is not mixing any words about it. He's saying, you really need to seek me. I am way more important than your miracle. Seek me first. That should be the, the pursuit. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he's reading this guy's heart. He's saying, you're just coming for the miracle. You just want your son to be healed. And Jesus is like, that's fine. But will you put your faith and trust in me? That has much longer term consequences. It has a relational impact that goes beyond the healing of his son. And that's the relationship that Jesus really wants with this guy. Jesus knows that there uh, is something uh, missing here. Let me uh, move on here. Interest of time. We then move from uh, crisis faith, uh, from crisis faith to responsive faith. The man actually responds well. Uh, if you want to underline, believe and start at home. You know, verse 40, uh, 
4.50, Then Jesus told him, Go back home. Your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said and started home. Awesome faith is always when we believe and respond immediately. Uh, that's like the best form of faith that we can have. When we hear from the Lord, we feel the direction of the Lord, and we say yes in obedience, and we do it quickly. And so what this man ends up doing, he gets it. He totally, in that dialogue that he has with Jesus, he gets it. He gets, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe my son is going to be healed. And he moves immediately to go back and to be with the Lord. It's, it's good enough for him. Yeah, faith is, is always going to require a response from us, always. Uh, faith, by definition, is that we are responding without all the facts. We're re- depending on Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, listen, it's not good enough to just want a miracle. You need to want me. You need to want God. If you get the God part, the miracle part uh, you know, can come afterwards. But can we stay focused on the God part? Jesus is basically giving him a longer lesson here, and he's saying, spiritual is really important. And I know your crisis is one of sickness and illness and somebody's about to die. But Jesus is saying the spiritual component comes first. And this sort of goes back a few chapters to the opening of the book of John, where Jesus says, I am the word of God and I am the word that became flesh. Uh, Let me just read a couple of lines in the opening part of the gospel here. In the beginning, the word already existed. It starts as spiritual. The word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 4, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. Verse 14, so the word became human or flesh and made his home among us. So what God is saying, he said, look, the spiritual comes first. The spiritual can breathe life into the natural. Focus not only on the natural, but also focus on the spiritual. Uh, we need to you know, grasp this concept that God is really uh, interested both in our natural needs. Uh, inclination is always going to be, and we can just look at your own prayer life. Look at your own prayer journal if you keep one. Your, if you look at your prayer journal, it probably looks somewhat similar to mine. It'll be like, God, I need help with, and you can fill in the blank. And it's like, you know, it's money, it's children, it's relationships, you know, it's whatever your, your, your needs are. Job, you know, career, trying to get in love, trying to stay out of love, you know, sexual desires, you know, put them all in the list there. What, what you don't see a lot of is, God, I desperately need you. I need relationship with you. Lord, you know, I feel like I'm distant from you. Uh, Lord, you know, I just like haven't heard your voice for a while. Uh, You know, Lord, I'm reading the Bible, but it just seems a little dry. You know, Lord, how can I be close with you again? That doesn't permeate in our prayers. Or it should, but it doesn't. Because we default to the natural. And the natural is okay. But the better emphasis is, can we shore up our relationship with Jesus? And if we can shore up our relationship with Jesus, he will then go before, before us and take care of all our obvious practical needs. He knows what we need. He knows what we desire, what we, what we want. But look how the way this uh, ends. It's got a beautiful ending to the story. It goes from crisis faith to responsive faith to reproducing faith. You know, this is the way that faith should work. 
that when we respond to God, He does something practical in our lives. We can experience it. Others experience it. As others see God doing awesome things in our lives, other people want in on the act. They also want to know Jesus. And notice, it's not because we become like perfect. It's because Jesus remains perfect. And all we're doing is we're just reflecting, excuse me, reflecting what God is doing in our lives. And we're saying, God is really awesome. And as God does awesome things in our lives, uh, it really uh, uh, draws us to the Lord. I do want to point out in this state, in this little uh, story, uh, you know, we might ask ourselves this question. Is it necessary to repent before we can receive Jesus? And, you know, uh, I'm hitting on like this very popular idea of the four spiritual laws. And yet, if you look at the story, you'd say there's no mention of repenting in it. This guy comes to faith without any sense of repenting. Uh, and what I am saying is this. Uh, when we try and make a formula of, of faith, we always fall short. Because each one of us is individual. We're all at a different place. Our way of responding to God and receiving to God is going to be very personal and very different. Uh, in the 70s and 80s, and I suppose it's still around now, the four spiritual laws was a wonderful tool because it was taking a complex concept of how do you have relationship with God and narrowing it down to, okay, you need to you know, believe that God exists. Taking scriptures from different parts of the Bible, put them together, believe that God exists, repent of your sins, receive Christ, ask Him into your life. You know, and those are all good scriptures. But what we tend to do where we make the mistake is we make it a formula. And then all of a sudden the formula doesn't work. You kind of lay it on somebody and it's like, yeah, that didn't work, you know. But what God is asking us to do is to use the way God is working in our lives to reflect Him and allow entire households and people to come to faith. And yes, they need to believe in God. And yes, repentance is going to be part of the process at some point. Uh, best when the Holy Spirit is convicting us and pointing out what the heck it is that we need to repent of. Because often, you know, if I said you just repent of your sins, it's like, I'm a good guy. What did I do? You know, we're like, I don't realize I'm a sinner. And then, you know, when God shines his light on you, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm anything but a good guy, you know. So we need the Holy Spirit to do that process. Uh, and when we, uh, when we take it on in our own strength, uh, sometimes it just we can mess up a good thing that God is doing. But we should be expecting our faith to be reproducing. This story is just so organic. You know, the, the guy just comes back. The family's been involved. They've seen the hand of God. They all want in on it. And that should be our lives too. As we uh, live our lives in community, we're asking for prayers. We're asking for help. You know, and then we see what say, happens in Brian's family, you know, good things. Uh, it builds up our faith. And for those that have had a crisis uh, and have others see your crisis, I'm thinking of Tracy, Burke, you, you know, when she had her accident, she was messed up in her car and uh, airbag deployed. And, you know, mysteriously, her husband, who was, I'm going to make a statement here, Chris, you can kill me later, but it was probably not like fully on board yet. But he saw the picture of Jesus in the airbag and was like, I believe this Jesus guy, he's real. I'm in. You know, like it was a big turning point. It was a huge faith builder. Crisis that was shared with others. People got in on the act. They saw that this Jesus is real. You know, Tracy like recovered miraculously from this, from, you know, which she should have been dead. Uh, it was a faith builder. 
But God used the crisis that the whole family, or certainly Chris and the you know, extended church family, our faith was lifted up through really a, a terrible uh, situation. So uh, I just want to, uh, to end with, with this idea that we really need to put Jesus first. And we really need to think about, is Jesus foremost in our lives? And do we sense that we have a good relationship with the Lord? And yes, we can focus on the problems. But if we can focus on our relationship with the Lord, many of our problems will take care of themselves. It's not necessary that the God will remove our problems, but He will empower us, enable us, and encourage us to get through our problems. The promise of the Holy Spirit is that He will comfort us and be with us. So we pray for complete resolution to our problems. We pray for a miraculous output, just like the story. But... At the same time, we also pray, God, will you just be with us? Will you give us the strength? Will you encourage us? Will you fill us with your love, with your peace, with your joy, despite the awful circumstances that I'm in, my family's in, or those around me are in, or our church is in? There's a sense that God will get us through, and God's love is foremost, and it's like there's this desperation. I need you, God, and if I can get that part right, we get every part right. So Jesus, I just thank you that you encourage us again and again with our very practical problems, all the difficulties that we face. And you encourage us again and again that we need to focus on you. We need to have relationship with you. We need to be tight with you. We need to hear your voice. We need to hear how you speak to us through your word and through prayer. And as we see you work through others in our lives, Lord, we, we, we delight when we see you move. And Lord, we invite you to be more active in our lives. We invite you to speak to us. We invite uh, the ability to be able to hear your voice and to see what it is that you're doing. Lord, we desire more of you, not less of you in our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen.